Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, I don't want you to miss what is happening here. Matthew is not the man people want to be seen with. Have you ever been in Walmart and you see people you know and you have a lot of respect for and you're talking to somebody you don't really want them to be, you don't want to be seen with them? Hi, I'm Matthew. I'm with the IRS. Can we be friends? No, no. Sorry if you work for the IRS. However, in this story, Jesus doesn't wait for Matthew to approach him. Jesus sees Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Everyone else is walking as far around Matthew as they possibly can because they don't want Matthew to say, hey, Britt, we need to talk. (laughs) No, we don't. Jesus approaches Matthew, follow me and be my disciple. I am inviting you. Jesus is inviting Matthew. Jesus says, I'm inviting you to be one of my chosen 12. Just let that tickle you for a second. A man who doesn't have any good friends has Jesus, a known teacher, come along and say, follow me, be one of my disciples, be one of my 12. So Matthew got up and and followed him. I mean, Matthew's own mother doesn't even like him that much, and now Jesus invites Matthew into his little band of brothers. I want to put a little thought in your brain here along the lines of our series title, Jesus calling Matthew to be a fully devoted follower is unreasonable. It's unreasonable. It doesn't make social sense, political sense. It doesn't make sense. It's unreasonable. Verse 10, on with our story. Later, so Matthew follows Jesus. Later on, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home, to Matthew's home, as dinner guests, I love this, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. (laughs) You guys get it. Matthew responds as he knows how to respond. Jesus has honored him with an invitation. He felt honored that Jesus says, Matthew, come and follow me, join me. Now Matthew wants to honor Jesus by inviting him and his other disciples over to the house for a little dinner party. We're gonna have lamb and mint jelly. I guess, I don't know. It's gonna be nice, it's gonna be wonderful. There's no reason to assume that Matthew was poor. He was probably quite well off. Matthew says, hey, Jesus, bring the guys over to my house. I will share my sanctuary with you. I use the word sanctuary because it's kind of how we feel about our homes, right? Your home is kind of a sacred place to you, kind of protective. Come to my house. I will share my sanctuary with you. Allow me to bless you. Allow me to honor you because you've done something great for me. Matthew is just being, he is being grateful. 
His heart is filled because of Jesus calling him. It's simple, selfless hospitality. Then verse 11 comes. That's my drum roll because I don't have a snare or drumsticks. Verse 11. But when the Pharisees, the church leaders, saw this, they asked his disciples, Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with such, what's the word, scum? <laughs> this is why I like the New Living Translation. They took a little liberty here. It's just, let's say it's a dynamic translation, okay? It's the meaning across. It's not a hyper-literal translation, it's a dynamic translation. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Because remember, the tax collectors are lower socially than even the Gentiles, the Greeks that are ruling over Israel. Poor Matthew, he's clueless in this situation. He didn't know that you don't invite sinners over when there are saints present. I mean, we know that, right? We've been raised in this. We know how religion works. We separate the clean from the unclean, the holy from the unholy, the churched from the unchurched, those who have perfected the look and language and those who have not. We stop them at the door. The two should never mix because they're different. They're opposite. Dude, Matthew, have you not read the Old Testament law? If you are unclean, you can't hang out with those who are clean. And you've brought the most unclean. Jesus is hanging out at the house of the most unclean. Matthew, Matthew just wanted to honor the Lord Jesus. Jesus did something for me and I want to honor him. I didn't know all of the social rules. He was not concerned with appearances. But the accusation of the Pharisees is not directed at Matthew's mess. It's actually about Jesus. Jesus is the one they're condemning here. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? There's a great contrast. Once Jesus invites Matthew to be a disciple, to be his disciple, Matthew is unaware of the social and religious appearances. He just wants to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees, they show up. You know the law. You know the law. All they are aware of, pardon me, the Pharisees who know the law, all they are aware of is appearances. Their attitudes are wrong. While Matthew wants to honor the Lord Jesus, they are looking to nitpick Jesus. Why would you eat a meal with such scum? Why would a Jewish teacher, why would a Jewish teacher go to the house of a tax collector and share a meal with disreputable sinners? We stay with our own kind. We don't fellowship with scum. We have, we have certain standards, right? I like the tension. You guys are just all, I'm not sure where he's going with this. <laughs> Me neither. Let's figure it out. 
We have certain standards, we dress a certain way, we eat in certain places, we hang out with certain people, and it's not these people. Poor Matthew doesn't even realize what he's done wrong. Matthew invites Jesus over for dinner. He invites the people he knows, probably his best and only friends, to share in this dinner party of all the people that he loves. That's all. These are just people I love. I didn't, didn't screen them before we made the guest list. I just invited people I love. In Matthew's mind, inviting other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners to meet with his new friend Jesus is perfectly acceptable. After all, Jesus did invite Matthew, the tax collector, into his little small group of disciples. Obviously, Jesus is not bothered by tax collectors why would Jesus be bothered by other disreputable sinners? This man who is the most rejectable of the Jews invites his other rejectable friends to meet and to honor Matthew's new friend, Jesus. The Pharisees are offended that Jesus would accept hospitality from such a lowly person. Did you hear what I said? The Pharisees are offended that Jesus would accept hospitality from such a lowly person. Verse 12, when Jesus heard this, this is why we like Jesus. He doesn't take garbage off of anybody. <clears throat> when Jesus heard this, he said, listen carefully, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, and I think he's talking to the Pharisees here, now go and learn the meaning of the scriptures, of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Wow. Put yourself in Matthew's shoes. In Matthew, the tax collector's shoes. To the Romans, Matthew was a dirty Jew. To the Jews, Matthew was a thief of the worst variety. To Jesus, Matthew was a friend worthy of mercy. Hmm. <laughs> To Jesus, Matthew was a friend worthy of mercy. If we were back home in Dalhart, Texas, and I was 12 years old, at this point, we'd sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. Y'all remember that song? The Pharisees stood superior in judgment of Jesus and Matthew. The self-righteous Pharisees had no need for a man who taught repentance because they didn't sin. They didn't need forgiveness. They didn't need a friend named Jesus. No self-respecting Jew would be caught dead breaking bread with sick people. Hmm. Jesus says, these are the ones I've come to call on. The ones who know they are sinners, the one the ones who know they deserve nothing 
but need forgiveness. The ones with no sense of self-righteousness. Are you hearing me? Jesus has come to call on the ones who have no sense of self-righteousness, just gratitude for grace that they do not deserve. I just want to honor the Lord Jesus. I don't know how. I don't know what is politically and socially correct. I just know that Jesus loves me, and I just want to love him back. That's all. That's all I got. Number two, ancestors. That's a, that's a real memorable number point. Number two, you remember Brent's point number two, ancestors. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> Not funny, but just sarcastic. Uh, remember Matthew is writing to the Jews to make a case that Jesus is the Messiah, their king. Matthew, the tax collector, rejectable, is writing to the Jews to make the case that Jesus, who eats with the scum of the earth, is their Messiah and their king. Lineage was always important to the Jews. They're always proven who they came from. We'll see later in Jesus' conversation with the Jews that being a descendant of Abraham and their ability to prove their heritage is extremely important. We're going to see conversations where we are descendants of Abraham, and they are all hoity-toity about it. Ancestry is tricky, though. You're going to relate to this. If it's about proving that a person is special, then you may need to leave out some of the relatives who reflect poorly on the family, right? When you talk about your family, you talk about the ones like, like, you know, my dad, he was da 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 You don't ever say, you know, my Uncle Joe, he was a terrible person. He was terrible, just total reprobate heathen. No, we tell the good things. So, so Matthew, being the lowly tax collector, is going to give the genealogy of the Jewish Messiah. The Jews, if they were making this, it would be only the holy people because they wouldn't put on holy, disreputable sinners in the lineage of Christ. doesn't make any sense. So here we go. We're starting now. Right now is when we're starting. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Is he going to preach through the genealogy of Christ? Yes, I am. And it's going to be good. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. First sentence. Matthew makes this audacious claim that Jesus is the Messiah. I just love that. That's a bold move. May I put it right up front? Here's where we're going. Here's what I'm going to prove to you. His proof, which can be confirmed by the ancestral records in the temple, because they would keep uh, meticulous records of heritage, of lineage, His proof would be confirmed uh, by the ancestral records in the temple is that Jesus is the descendant of King David and a spiritual father Abraham. I think that's interesting. David and Abraham represent 
two big covenants that God made with Israel. And if I was preaching only this section, I would take time to go back and dissect those um, and unpack those covenants. But uh, you should have taken Daniel Westbury's class on covenants. Uh, Maybe he'll teach it again one of these days. See, if you miss a class, you just miss out. It's too bad. Now you don't know what we're doing. (laughs) Through a descendant of David, God promises a king. God told David, he said, I'm going to give you a king who will build a temple and secure his royal throne forever. We just sang about that. Matthew is going to prove that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And proving that Jesus is a descendant of Father Abraham is necessary because it was through Abraham that God originally made a covenant of blessing in Genesis chapter 12. And I refer to that often because, man, that is just really, really good. Um, I'm not going to take time to do it this morning. You're going to have to just read it on your own. Genesis 12. Follow along here. Abraham. So he's going to begin the lineage with Abraham. We're going to go from Abraham to Jesus, proving that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, uh, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar is one of four women that's going to be mentioned here in this lineage. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram. Isn't that just good? Ha, it's anointed. (laughs) Why? Why does Matthew, I mean, we know ultimately that he's pointing, he's getting us from Abraham to Jesus. But let's just pause for a moment. This guy, Abraham, although he's who God made a covenant with, Abraham is, he's, he's the father of the nation of Israel because God made him, but his, he made, God made Abraham the father of the nation of Israel. But is he a perfect man? Because that's how we think of the patriarchs of Israel, right? All of these men who had lived by this high standard of perfection and righteousness, and wow, if only I could attain to be like Abraham. He lied about being married to his wife, dude. He's a punk. He married his half-sister and then lied about it. There's a family reunion coming up. I'm going to find me a woman. True. <laughs> it was more acceptable back then. I think half of them, anyway. Not a perfect man. Abraham's, Abraham's got his problem. Isaac, poor guy, his father Abraham almost killed him. Jacob, remember the stories of Jacob? He's born a deceiver, a manipulator. God blessed him anyway. And Judah? Oh, wait, this is, this is not, the story of Judah is not like, this morning I'm going to be taking my text and the story of Judah from Genesis, uh, I don't remember where it's at, it's in Genesis. Uh, we're going to be talking about Judah and how he got his daughter-in-law pregnant by accident. Uh, he thought she was just a prostitute, it was an honest mistake, and now we have, now we have Perez, and so now we have Judah and we have, uh, <clears throat> what's her name, Tamar. We have Judah, Tamar, and Perez, all in the lineage of of the Messiah. How's that fit your Judaism? Let's go on because it's so good. (laughs) 
Ram was the father of Aminadab. Did I get them all in there? I think I did. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Uh, Nashon was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Hold your finger right there. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Put your other finger there. Hopefully we don't have 10 names. Obed, more than 10 names. Obed was the father of Jesse. We remember who Jesse was. Uh, Solomon married Rahab. Rahab was the prostitute and survivor of Jericho. Remember the battle of Jericho? Rahab was the prostitute who helped out the spies. We want to make sure that she gets into the lineage of Christ. When we tell the story of Ruth and Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, we leave out the fact that Boaz was the son of a prostitute. We just think of him as Boaz, this awesome, romantic, handsome man who comes in his purple robe and he's going to wrap his robe around Ruth. It's beautiful. His family's messed up. <laughs> Ruth was a Moabite. One of the things we don't talk about very often because we try to keep church somewhat G-rated, uh, this is why we send the kids into the other room, is the Moabites were the offspring created when Lot's daughters got him drunk and slept with him. Let's put him in the lineage of Christ too. He's important. They, the Moabites were forbidden to go into the, go into the temple because of the, the sin of their family way back when. Verse six, this is a winning bunch of people, huh? This is a family reunion you want to go to. <laughs> like, it'll be fun, I promise. We're going to play lawn darts at midnight. <clears throat> Verse six, some of you are like, what? I don't know why that's funny. Jesse was the father of King David. That's where we were getting to. That gets us Abraham, King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Put your finger there. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa, and the green grass grew all around and around. That's how it feels, isn't it? Like Abraham, we tend to sweep under the rug that David was not perfect either. King David, he wrote the Psalms. This is a man who plays the harp and he kills lions and bears and giants. Oh my, oh my. It's wonderful, King David. No, he's a murderer, dude. Outright murderer. He murdered Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, so that he could marry Bathsheba. He's messed up. I mean, I titled this Sick People for a Reason. <clears throat> Bathsheba, she gets mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. Solomon, wise man, but boy, did he ever like women. He had a women problem. <clears throat> Rehoboam, not the greatest king. He contributed to the division of, of Israel and Judah, Judea. And Abijah, <clears throat> he's just remembered as simply being an evil king, an evil king. Verse 8, Asa and the, was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Rehoam. Uh, Rehoam was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jothan. Jothan was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. I'm going to keep going. There's no really juicy stories there. <laughs> Verse 10, you know that's what I'm doing. 
Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amon. Amon was the father of Josiah. I like Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers born at the time of the exile to Babylon. Now Manasseh was a notoriously wicked king of Judah. Wicked king, terrible, good for nothing. Let's put him in the genealogy of Christ as well. Josiah, on the other hand, he became king when he was eight. He actually is uh, rummaging around in the storage room and finds the scrolls of God, the word of God, and he brings Israel back. We like Josiah. Verse 12, after the Babylonian exile, Jehoiakim was the father of Sheel, Sheel Teal. Sheel Teal was the father of Zerubbabel. We talked about, I think we talked about Zerubbabel several weeks ago. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Uh, Jehoiakim was the king of Judah uh, when King Nebuchadnezzar came and captured Judah. So we wouldn't really make him the successful king. He kind of turned the nation over to King Nebuchadnezzar. He was not successful. Verse 14, Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was a priest. Zadok was the father of Achim. Achim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer was the father of Matthen. Matthen was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who Matthew says is called the Messiah. He gets us. He gets us from Abraham and David to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 17. No, let's skip verse 17. No, let's do verse 17. I scratched it out for the sake of time, but we're doing fine. <clears throat> All those list, listed above included, uh, include 14 generations from Abraham to David and 14 from David to the Babylonian exile and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Uh, I, I think that Matthew is simply saying there is some symmetry here as though God has a plan well, Britt, what about all these people who messed up the lineage of Christ? God says, no, it, I have it laid out, 14, 14, and 14. I have it exactly like I want it. But don't you want to put really great, righteous, and holy people in there? Put just the good people in there? No, no, I have it exactly like I want it. I have 14 generations, 14 generations, and 14 generations. Well, what about how all of these bad people, all these evil people, all these sinful people look in the lineage of Christ? God says, I have a perfect plan, and it's, it's unfolding exactly as I want it. Does that mess with your doctrine? I thought, I thought I messed up God's plan. Yeah, you thought you were God there for a second. So why are all of these names important? Two reasons, two reasons. First, to show that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham and David, therefore fulfilling those covenants. Hugely important, we'll unpack that for the next year or two. Second, is to point out that Jesus was the descendant of men and women and other disreputable sinners. Earthly speaking, Jesus is from a long line of sinners. So whenever Jesus goes into Matthew's house and there's a bunch of sinners, he's like, it's like family. <laughs> he feels at home. 
Like, these are my people. As opposed to, as opposed to going to church where there's the Pharisees and I don't know any of these people. Jesus came from a, a line of sick people to come and call sick people. Jesus did not come as a self-serving king. Did he come as king? Absolutely. We're going to see that throughout the book of of Matthew. He does come as king, absolutely as king, but not a self-serving king and not a self-aggrandizing king. Jesus came as a serving king. He came to the sick. He came to be a doctor to the sick. He came to help the sick. He came to help the sinful. We do not deserve him. We do not deserve him. We can do nothing to earn him. It is completely illogical, completely illogical for God to work through humanity the way he does. Do you hear me? I read the story of salvation from Genesis, you know, to the New Testament, and I'm like, God, He's God. If he can say light be and light is, then he can also say salvation be and salvation would be. He didn't have to send his son. He created the system to demonstrate how unreasonable his grace is. Does that make sense? He created the system. He created the system to demonstrate to you and I how unreasonable his grace is. He could have just said, ah, salvation be for all of these sick folks. God sent his son to be, sacri- to be the sacrifice for the sins of those who are sick and dying. It doesn't seem reasonable at all. Jesus is the epitome of unreasonable grace. That's where we're starting. Next week, we're gonna cover the birth of Jesus. Stand with me. I want to encourage you that if you have not recognize Jesus as Lord of your life. I want to encourage you this morning that you are not so sick that Jesus wouldn't have dinner with you. You are not so sinful that Jesus wouldn't want to save you. In fact, if you know that you're the sinner, well, good, because this is good company. Because that's why we're here. We know that we're the sinners and we know that we need the Lord Jesus Christ. So we put our faith and our confidence in what Matthew tells us about Jesus being the Messiah. Let's bow our heads together. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.